We continue our in-depth look into the crisis in the Canadian healthcare system tonight that we call Code Blue. Last week, we took you inside the problems facing many emergency rooms in this country, particularly in rural and, rural and remote areas. We spoke with Dr. Alan Drummond uh, in Perth, Ontario. Here's a bit of what he had to say. Our very notable doctor from uh, St. Mike's was recently on a panel discussion with the Ontario Medical Association for the public. And he said, uh, literally, he was 99% confident that things would get worse this this winter. So city doctors and rural doctors in the emergency department in this province are saying things are bad and we kind of think they're going to get worse. You can find our full interview with Dr. Alan Drummond on the A Little More Conversation podcast that's available on the show's homepage on the Global News website and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. He had a lot of interesting things to say. Of course, his emergency room alone was closed for a three-week stretch uh, in the last month or so, and uh, he has a lot to say. He's also uh, with the Emergency Doctors uh, Association of Canada, and he had a lot to say about what uh, could be in store for the fall. They don't think things are going to get better. They think things are going to get worse, as he pointed out. Well, tonight we look at the domino effect that a lack of primary care providers is having on the entire healthcare system in this country, including on our emergency rooms. StatsCan reports in 2019 that approximately 4.6 million of us, and I'll include myself in that, did not have regular access to a primary care provider. That number is likely growing. Uh, We're also taking the opportunity tonight to get to know the new president of the Canadian Medical Association. Originally from Saskatchewan, Dr. Alika Lafontaine is an anesthesiologist based in Grand Prairie, Alberta. And earlier this month, he became the first Indigenous leader of the prominent national advocacy group. And Dr. Lafontaine joins us now from Grand Prairie. Thank you and welcome. Congratulations. Thanks for having me. This is a a challenging time to take on this role. Um, What made you decide that this was the right time and and what do you think you're going to be able to bring uh, to this important position? I I didn't actually have long-term plans to run for the head of the Canadian Medical Association, to be honest. I I had a a close friend who reached out during the nomination period and, and they asked me to, you know, look around and see whether or not I thought that I could have some sort of positive impact. There, there's a lot of frustration in the healthcare system now, both on the patient side and the provider side. And I, I saw all that pain and, and frustration and thought to myself, you know, if, if there's something I can do to, to help out, then maybe put my hat in the ring and, and run for the election. And I was lucky enough to have Alberta physicians choose me for this year. It's a culmination of quite a remarkable story, isn't it, from the time you just sort of... Um you know, when you, from high school on, just the, the amount of uh, hard work and success that you've had over the years? You know, just like any Canadian, I, I've had a lot of ups and downs. In preschool, I was labeled with a learning disability. Obviously, I, I worked through that with the support of my parents and you know, a really close, tight-knit uh, group of mentors. You know, even getting into medical school and moving on to specialty fellowship, it, it's been an uphill battle. And You know, I I think one of the things that I always remember being in this position is, you know, it gives me the opportunity to bring with me not only my expertise as a clinician and also my past history as in leadership, but also my understanding of what it's like to be on the outside. And I think there's a lot of people out there, uh, both patients and providers, who, who feel like they're on the outside right now, and we need to bring them into the conversation if we want to fix our problems. Yeah, that you raise a really important point because I think you're absolutely right. Being able to have that view is probably at this point in time, uh, given some of the challenges that the healthcare system is facing, it's really important to know both sides of this story, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, I think it's the side that we don't talk about that probably is going to have the most impact. You know, we we tend to get really fixated during these times of health system stress on, you know, specific types of of conversations, you know, the 
ever louder drum for efficiency, you know, the the real push for alternative methods of, of care outside of the public system. And I, I think that there's much broader conversations that we can all be a part of. And at the end of it, people want to be able to show up to their family physician or emergency or to see their specialist and, you know, have a good experience and walk away feeling that they received the care that they needed. And, you know, if that's the goal, then that that should probably be more central to what we're talking about. Yeah, I guess we do fall into a lot of those old traps, private versus public, um, you know, more efficiency within the system, you know, new and bold ideas, right? But what we really need, and you're absolutely right, what people want is to be able to rely on the healthcare system, right? That's what it, that's what it boils down to. Um, what are some of the things you would like to see done? I know this is a very big issue, but where do you think some of the real pain points are and where do we need to start fixing them fast? There's a lot of things that, that people are focused on right now. So you, you have a bunch of these crises converging together. And so it's tough to be comprehensive in a short period of time. But I do think one of the major areas that we have to focus on is primary care, specifically supporting family physicians in the community to provide the type of care that, that patients hope for. And that honestly, you got into medicine to provide in the first place. You know, there, there's things that we sacrifice as physicians in training in order to get the other side of it, which is that impact in people's lives. And I think more and more family physicians are feeling like they don't have that space to provide good care. And as a result, they're pulling back from work. They're, they're maybe choosing other work because they can't provide it in the environment that we have right now. And there, there are definitely immediate solutions that we can provide to create that environment. You know, one of the big things that we talk about frequently is things like team-based care, you know, but I, I think team-based care has to be focused on how can we all work together in order to provide that best patient experience versus, you know, just switching out who can replace the family doc at cheaper cost or who else can provide care other than the family doctor? You know, these are conversations that I, I think we need to be open to have, but they're not central to what actually can make impact right now. And, you know, we, we all need to lift where we stand right now and find ways to do better immediately. That way we can address the care shortage that we have right now. It feels like, I mean, I'm in, I'm in Victoria and there's been a huge problem with family doctors out here. I mean, oftentimes the family doctor is the gateway into the medic, into the system, right? And when you start to lose that gateway, um, you start to lose an important relationship for individuals as well. And then, it, and we're seeing the cascading effect of that. Is that too simplistic or is that, is that about right? I, I think that's a good entry point to the conversation. You know, we, we've known for decades that Canadians had a difficulty you know, seeing their family physician, you know, about 15% of Canadians can see uh, or get linked to a family physician year over year for, for the past long time. You know, in, in May, we had a, a few provinces note the, the large backlog. You know, in Ontario, there was uh, the the news that there were more than 1 million surgeries that were in the backlog and more than 22 million health services, you know, things like getting x-rays or lab tests or other things. That's That's an overwhelming amount of care that a family physician has to get through. You know, and then people are getting more complex because of aging, but also the the care delays and the care deficit has led to more acute patients. So when you actually see someone, they tend to be sicker or have uh, more advanced problems. Now, if you look at the way that family physicians provide care, you know, the the idea that a family physician can get through a full panel of patients, which is anywhere from, you know, 1,900 to 2,500 patients, depending on the study you look at, you actually don't have enough hours in the day. You know, there was a recent University of Chicago study that showed that you, know, you need 26.7 hours to see an average number of patients, and about three hours of that day is spent in documentation. You know, we do really need to rethink how we can provide care in better ways. Uh, team-based care is definitely one of those ways, making sure that we integrate everyone within the healthcare team, but then also making it more convenient. And, you know, these are things that things like virtual care can provide as long as we have all the right players around the table. 
So it's not just a question. I mean, often the subject of money comes up. Certainly it's come up when the, with the provinces of the federal government, as it always does. Uh, but it strikes me this isn't really only about throwing more money at this problem, that it has to be spent wisely because we're, we're, we're entering a system where it's not just about the money. It's about multiple issues. You know, I, I think the problems that we have today really show how our extreme focus on efficiency, which really translates into how can we get the most care for the lowest cost, has really led us to this point. You know, even when we talk about things like team-based care, you know, we we talk about the idealized version of team-based care, which is everyone kind of lifting where they stand, but governments tend to focus on, you know, switching a family dog out for a nurse practitioner because they will be lower cost or, you know, opening up primary care to other team members who traditionally haven't been trained or uh, provided that type of care in the past. And I, I think it's the the wrong frame to look at this. You know, in the middle of an emergency or a crisis as an anesthesiologist, the very last thing I want to do is switch up the roles that people have within the emergency. You know, what's important is for us to get together, get really aligned on what we're trying to achieve, make sure we have clear communication, make sure that we're checking with each other, that we're doing things in you know, a proper, you know, step-by-step way. These are the ways that you make your way out through a crisis. And I I think doubling down on that sort of communication, trust-based care, where we're really focused on that relationship with the patients who come to see us in in the places that we work, that's what's going to lead us out of this crisis. Uh, Dr. LaFontaine, there was a new study that came out late last week just showing the kind of impact this has had, uh, this crisis in the past few years has had on healthcare professionals in general. Uh, it must be cause for concern when you're seeing so much, um, How I, I wouldn't call it desperation, but certainly people not feeling good about the work it is that they have to go do every single day, or at least the conditions with which, with which they do it. I, I agree that people should be alarmed at, at some of the things that we've seen year over year in this survey. You know, we, we've had the chance with this National Physician Health Survey to provide a kind of a, a pan-national view of, you know, where physicians are at as far as their feelings towards work and, you know, their their feelings of burnout. Our, our last survey was was back in 2017. And, you know, it was concerning back then. We we found that a lot of our metrics have doubled, you know, often entering into points where where we're quite concerned, you know, 53% of physicians and medical learners reported experiencing high levels of burnout, nearly double the amount that was reported in 2017. There's there's a difference in a lot of the metrics between you know, family physicians and those who provide primary care and, you know, the rest of the system, often those metrics are worse. You know, we we see that what we hear in the news is reflected in the data. You know, people are not feeling good about the working environments they're working in. They're feeling overwhelmed. And as a result, a lot of them are considering pulling back because it, it's tough to be in a situation where day after day you feel overwhelmed and, you know, you, you feel like you're you're reaching your breaking point. I know you've done a lot of work uh, with groups such as the um, the Indigenous Health Alliance and so on. This was a, a, a something I know that's close to your heart and something that was a problem. There was there was a lot of improvements to be made there. Do you feel like that experience can be now applied more broadly to the whole healthcare system? I mean, you went in and found gaps and found problems, worked as a work together to try and solve some of these issues. Do you feel like that could be an approach that would work uh, nationwide? You know, there's a lot for us to learn from Indigenous health, particularly in the way that Indigenous communities have dealt with crisis, right? I I believe that a lot of the crises that we're feeling right now in mainstream medicine are not new to rural and remote communities, especially Indigenous communities. You know, doctor shortages, rolling closures of services, delayed care, um, worsening communication, um, not feeling like you're you're getting the the best kind of care that that you should receive as a person living in Canada. 
And so taking those learnings and applying them to the, the problems that we have right now, I, I think it's really a, a difference in magnification. So at the root of our healthcare issues are things like not feeling like you can trust your your provider, making sure that you have clear communication and you know, after you you have that medical encounter, you actually feel motivated to make changes in the way that you you address your health, uh, ensuring that you talk to the right person at the right time to receive the right sort of care. You know, it, these sorts of things are magnified within Indigenous health. And it's important for us just to remember, you know, we, we talk lots about how complex the system is, but at the end of the day, the system is really that provider to patient interaction. You know, and a lot of times that's actually not that complex. And if we get the right people around the table talking about these issues and us being open and honest about the the challenges that we have, I think what we showed in the alliance is we actually could move the needle when it came to a narrowing health inequities. And I believe we can do the same thing in the mainstream healthcare system. Yeah, I mean, you built a lot of bridges and, and it was a lot of collaborative work, which we don't always see. And across, you know, obviously across provinces throughout the country. And it feels like that might be something that uh, that's sort of what the system needs um, you know, broadly right now is that sort of collaboration and to identify issues such as that and to be able to sit down with people from across the country and say, okay, what do we need to tackle first? Well, one of the things that I really appreciated from the Alliance experience was realizing just how deeply people care about these issues. You know, it's it's easier for us in the midst of these crises just to, to point and, and assign blame to different groups. And, you know, there, there's enough challenges for us all to share the burden and enough uh, previous mistakes that have been made for us to share the burden. But uh, you you have very, very good people within the system who are working very, very hard to make a difference. And sometimes what they need is a fresh perspective from someone who sees things in a slightly different way. Sometimes they need to hear directly from the person who's experiencing the uh, the, the issue at, at the center of care, the, the patient and their families in order to understand how to make these changes. And sometimes getting everyone in the room really focused on, you know, a single goal that, you know, they're trying to remove barriers for, uh, I, I think is what is needed. You, there's a lot of things that you hear right now from politicians that actually give me a whole lot of hope. You know, uh, premiers getting together in Atlantic Canada with, uh, you know, Premier Ford from Ontario and you know, hearing things like the status quo is not an option. We have to have all options on the table. You know, the, these are the words of people who acknowledge that the crisis is severe enough that we're actually going to enter into rethinking what we're actually doing. And, you know, if we have the right kinds of options on the table, I, I think we can make a big difference in, in what people are experiencing right now. Yeah, sometimes people can be cynical when they hear politicians talking about well, we need bold new ideas, and you think, well, wait a second, you know, what? Why not? Where were the bold ideas five, ten years ago? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Why did? Why does that give you confidence? And what are some of those bold ideas? Do you think you talked about obviously about mm -hmm. team based uh, treatment and so on, which are important? But but what gives you hope that 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 there's hope on the horizon? I in in the pandemic, I, I think Canadians could see different waves of acknowledgement of the problem. You know, at the very beginning, you know, a minimization that, you know, the problem wasn't as severe as we thought, you know, now entering into a state where you're realizing that this is now spiraling out of control, things then spiraling out of control, and then getting to a point where you have some sort of recovery and, and space to kind of breathe as you try and create a, a different way of approaching the next wave that might might occur. You know, the same sort of thing happens in, in any sort of crisis. And we, we are quickly entering into the space where this is spiraling out of control. And what that provides is, you know, an opportunity for us to really be committed to doing something different because we don't really have any choice other than to do something different. You know, it's so widespread for people to lack access to care. It's so widespread for 
people to not be having the the types of experiences that they want to have. You know, there's such a care deficit. You know, workers are born out. All of these crises are converging at a point where we we truly might, for the first time in a very long time, have a real conversation about what we're trying to achieve in the healthcare system. And I I hope we we keep it broad. I hope we don't get fixated on you know the these these uh, routine conversations we all seem to get into. And you know, if we elevate our level of conversation. And if people get involved in the conversation the same way that they did when we were going through the pandemic uh, waves previously, I, I think there's a lot of hope for us to actually have the discussion take us somewhere different. And you'll be part of that conversation, Dr. LaFontaine. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me.